Welcome to Fruit Snacks, a weekday podcast that covers big ideas about the Christian worldview in a bite-sized format. Hey everyone, today we are in Psalm 14. This is a short psalm, and it's one that is very well known because of the, the very first verse. The, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's a pretty well-known verse uh, in the Bible. But what's really interesting to me about this psalm is that it fits so well into just the overall problem of evil that we're discussing this season on the podcast. And it it factors so prominently into the problem of evil that I mean the the whole theology of this psalm is basically about the human condition, which a couple weeks ago was our focus. And so this is the psalm to point to when we talk about a question like, why do bad things happen to good people? And to go, well, let's look at Psalm 14 and let's talk about whether or not there really is such a thing as good people. I want us to notice in this psalm, as we're just sort of working our way through and and I'm just commenting on some things that stick out to me, that the word corrupt comes up multiple times in this short psalm of, of only seven verses. And when you look at that word corrupt, in the original language, it carries this connotation and sometimes it's used in such a way as to describe things that are rotten, things that are spoiled, even sour, almost like a, like like souring milk, something that has turned. In other words, this idea of corruption that is being discussed here or, or used here to describe people, humans, is... This idea that while they once were good, something was once good, but it is now turned. It has become a thing that is no longer no longer what it once was or no longer able to do what it once was intended to do. And this gets into the, the, the theology of the image of God, the Imago Dei which we have covered at uh, other points in the podcast, but just this idea that I'm not going to suggest that the image of God is gone or that it is somehow uh, even diminished, but more of this idea of uh, purpose uh, being unable to be carried out or being impeded in some way. So if we carry this idea of like spoiled milk, for instance, the purpose of milk, if you keep it in your fridge, is to drink it. If it is spoiled, then it can no longer serve that purpose because it will make you sick. So the only thing that it's good for now is to be thrown out. And it's a similar idea, I think, in the psalm here is that God had an original purpose and intention for human beings as his image bearers. But because of our corruption, we are now no longer able to really carry out that purpose. And so in order for us to carry out that purpose, we need to be restored. And that is the heart of the gospel message. But just this idea that, uh, you know, what does it mean to be 
sinful. It's this idea of being corrupt. We are now, we've turned into something that cannot achieve God's full intention for us. And so we need restoration. And as a side note, because this ties into the gospel message as well in the New Testament, that I was reminded reading through this psalm of the passage that says that that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And this psalm is a perfect example to just read this psalm, take it in for what it just very plainly says about who we are as people, and then to consider that it was while we were in this state that Jesus came and that he sacrificed himself for us on our behalf so that we might be restored. It was while we were corrupt and while no one sought for God and while we were not good and we we did what was right in our own eyes that Christ came and made the ultimate sacrifice. And the the second half of this psalm, sort of the last three or four verses, they kind of turn and focus on restitution for sure, that God will ultimately be um, making things right, that he will be restoring his people and that he will be a refuge for his people sort of in the midst of this, this maelstrom of wickedness all around in the world. But it's this also this idea that we see here that the the wicked, they they kind of do what they want. If you look at verse four, for instance, that the the evildoers they they eat up my people as they eat bread. Well, do you give a whole lot of thought to you know the bread as you're as you're piling it you know into your mouth as you're as you're eating a sandwich? Are you really considering the bread and how it was made and all these other things? Not really. And this idea of them not only being insatiable and and just sort of gobbling things up, that they gobble up good people, God's people, like they would gobble up bread, but also this idea that they just kind of take what they want and do what they want, and they don't really consider the consequences um, because in in a big way, they they don't really believe there are any. I mean, if you go back to verse 1, for instance, and this gets a little bit into, I think, the, the psychology of uh, unbelievers. If you don't believe that God is, is real, that God exists, then you don't believe that you're accountable to a God uh, because there is no God. And so doing these things that would be considered offensive to this God are really not of much concern to you. Because not only do you not think that you're going to be held accountable, you you don't even think that the one you're supposed to be accountable to is really real. And so part of what this shows us is a little bit of potentially the reasoning why some of this wickedness happens and why it happens so casually in the world. If people really don't believe in God, well, then there's no piper to pay, if I can use that phrase. and. So this goes back to the question I asked us uh, a, a week ago or so uh, when we were discussing the, the very tail end of you know whether or not there really is such a thing as a good person. And I asked the question of what would you do if you knew that you could get away with it, if you knew that there were no consequences? For these wicked folks in this psalm, 
They don't believe there are consequences. And so what would they do? Whatever they want. But remember in verse 1, it says that they're a fool for saying that because as convinced as they are, they're mistaken. And so uh, this is though, this is a little bit of a, a peek, I think, into this cosmic accountability uh, problem. If if there is no God, then there's ultimately no accountability. I mean, yeah, there's there's temporal accountability. There's things that are legal or not, but that's not really a moral question. That's more of a legal question. One last point I want to bring out here is in the last verse, verse 7, it says that, oh, salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. Now, Zion is a term that is sometimes interchangeably used as a reference for Jerusalem. But it's also a little bit more than that. We see it as sort of interchangeable for Jerusalem in passages like 1 Kings 8.1. And so I don't want to make too much of a distinction here because it does mean Jerusalem. It's the 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 hill, the, the point the, that sat right outside of Jerusalem or at least closest to it. But it was considered the mountain of God. And if we go back to Genesis, if we go back to the, the Old Testament context that we've talked about before, that has a lot of theological significance. It would be one thing to say that salvation would come out of you know God's city, but it's another thing to say that it comes out of the mountain of God because that evokes cosmic imagery. That evokes uh, a bigger picture thinking in the mind of the reader that imagery that God is sitting on his throne, his cosmic throne, that earth is his footstool, that he is uh, above and beyond this world. And so God is bigger than whatever wickedness, whatever problems we are facing here. And God can snuff them out with the snap of a finger. And so it's a reminder that God is bigger and that God will judge, and that cosmic accountability is real, that it's a thing. And so anyone who acts and lives as if it's not is, as the psalm says, a fool. So I want us to just consider some of these things as it factors into the problem of evil. It's an interesting passage to go to uh, because of how how many different questions that we've talked about that this Uh, sort of finds its way into. Tomorrow, we are going to turn our attention back to our question of the week about hell and how eternal punishment is fair. So I hope to see you then.